Merry Christmas, everybody. Man, it's so great to see you guys. Uh, for those of you online, thanks for uh, joining us as well. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and, and part of our preaching team. Wow, thank you so much for being part of this. Um, it's crazy to think about this Christmas and then to rewind and think about what life was like last Christmas. Pretty different, huh? It's a little bit different. It, things can change in a year. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting. We, we've learned all these new things in the last year, right? There's these things now for us that are just totally normal, totally commonplace, uh, words, concepts, ideas, things that we're familiar with we weren't familiar with a year ago. And all of that's related to the coronavirus, right? And, and unless you're in the medical world, you'd probably never even heard the word coronavirus until this year. And you're sick of hearing it. You're sick of hearing the word COVID. Uh, but, but there's all these new concepts, right? Now, this year, uh, in a way we never knew about before, we know about social distancing. Yeah, ugh, someone says, ugh, social distancing. Yeah, it's no fun. We know about community spread, right? No one knew what that was. Maybe some people on college campuses were like, I don't know what that is, but I'm interested. What is that? Community spread. Um, we heard about super spreader events, um, right? We all got introduced this year to Zoom. I remember actually last Christmas, um, all our family that's scattered all over the country, I said, hey, could we do like our cousin present exchange this year over Zoom? None of them knew what it was. This year, they know Zoom, <laughs> right? And so one of the words we, that we're all familiar with this year is unmute. <laughs> Grandma, you have to unmute yourself, right? Like, like we just, we know this word unmute. Um, there's this, this word anti-masker. Like before this year, no one was a masker. Like that wasn't, you couldn't even be anti. It was just not a thing. Um, and then all these other terms that, that maybe you've heard, I, I've kind of uh, discovered these, you know, the, the Oxford uh, Dictionary, they do a word of the year every year. And this year, there were so many new words that they actually said they couldn't pick one. And so they did a whole report of all these new words. And so maybe you've heard some of these words. I like this one, uh, covidiot. A covidiot, right? A uh, covidiot is someone who's handling COVID in an idiotic way, which basically means anyone who's not doing what you're doing you think is a COVIDiot, right? That's sort of how we are. Um, there's also a new generation, uh, the coronials. The coronials are those, uh, those children that were um, conceived during the lockdown. They're the coronials. So we'll look forward to them growing up uh, in the next few years. Um, maybe you feel like every day is blurs day. That's one of the new words of the year, blurs day. It all just blurs together. Uh, maybe you have thought about the term hygiene theater. That's what people call it when it's like, why do we have to do this thing? Because it's hygiene theater. Like, why can you like sit shoulder to shoulder in a tube in the sky on an airplane, but you can't sit next to people in a movie theater, right? Well, because of hygiene theater. Uh, doom scrolling is a thing, right? We've learned this year about wet markets, right? We've all learned to distinguish, well, is it a face mask or is it a face covering, Right? And we have all this new terminology, right? Before this year, a lot of you thought that you were an essential worker. And you're not now, apparently. A lot of you, like, you just realized I'm not apparently essential. Um, this year, we discovered the, the reality of waste-up dressing. Right? This is, uh, is kind of like the, the, the apparel version of a mullet. You know, business up top, party down below kind of thing. Um, this is where you just look good on the camera, right? That, that sort of deal. We've also learned this year the shape of a virus. Like I bet if I passed out uh, paper and pencil, all of you could draw what the coronavirus looks like. I, you never thought about that before. And I was struck by this this summer. This summer I was actually talking to my little guy, Hank. At the time he was, he was three. 
And we were having a little bit of a conversation about coronavirus, and I realized that just by being kind of around the discussion, he actually kind of picked up on what the, what the shape of it all was. So I got out my phone and, and asked him some questions, and it was, it was pretty fun. So here, here's a look at that. What is coronavirus? It's like really big, brown, sick virus. Yeah, what's a virus? It's a, like, like a sick ball. It's a sick ball? Yeah. What happens if you get coronavirus? You get sick. Yeah. Have you ever had coronavirus? I do. You have it right now? Yeah. Oh, wow. How do you feel? Sick. You do? Yeah. That's silly business. <laughs> <laughs> I love that kid. Right, that smile right there, that is kind of what he looked like most of this year. He was a huge ray of sunshine. But, and just for the record, in case you're worried, uh, he didn't actually have coronavirus. That was just him uh, doing silly business. But, but all of us have just been exposed to all of these new things. And there's one word, I think more than any, right? Like if I was in charge of the Oxford uh, word of the year, I would say this is the word that I feel like I heard more in 2020 than ever before. It's a word we're now sick of, unprecedented unprecedented. In fact, the Oxford uh, Word of the Year report that they put out said, uh, and, you know, 2020, an unprecedented year. It's like, well, there it is. That's the word. You should have picked that one. But unprecedented. What, what does unprecedented mean? It means uh, never done or known before. Right? So we've heard this all the time. In these unprecedented times. Unprecedented. Never known or never done before. Now, here's what's interesting. If you actually think about that, what that means is a lot of the stuff we've experienced this year really isn't technically unprecedented. It's just unprecedented to us, right? There have been pandemics before. There have been worldwide things before. There have been racial tensions before. There have been contentious elections before. There has been economic downturns before, right? Like all this has happened before. It just hasn't happened in the same way to us. But what we're going to talk about today is that the reality of Christmas, while it might seem gloriously normal and traditional and uh, kind of ordinary because of how familiar we may be with it, it's actually truly unprecedented. Christmas is actually unprecedented. What happens in the story we just read in Matthew chapter 1 is unprecedented. So we're going to look at three revelations that Christmas gives to us about the unprecedented, unprecedented nature of Jesus' arrival. The first thing that we see in this story is that Christmas reveals an unprecedented need. An unprecedented need. Right? As human beings, we've always had a sense of, of need. We have a sense that things aren't the way they should be. We have a sense that things could be better. And, uh, and, and so we have a sense of need. Yeah, it, it, everything doesn't feel whole. Everything doesn't feel cohesive. Things feel broken in this world, right? The question becomes, how broken? How big of a need is it? How deep is the problem? Could we actually fix the problem with the right kind of approach? And so kind of traditional and more religious type people, they try to fix the problem by, you know, emphasizing morality and good works and family, and child-rearing, a lot of effort. The question is, is the problem in the world small enough to be just fixed with good child-rearing? Well, some of you are of an age where you've raised children, and you did a good job with it. 
And yet, things are still broken in your life, in your kids' lives, in their grandkids' lives. That didn't fix it. More uh, progressive or more uh, irreligious people, they try to fix it different ways, right? With education. We just need to make sure everyone's educated. We need better technology. We need scientific progress. They would also say, we need a lot of effort. We need a lot of maybe government intervention. And those things are all tried. And is the world better? No. See, see this, is a, this is a big problem. This is a deep problem. Our need is significant. And the reason is because our deepest need is not economic, and it's not educational, and it's not familial. It's sin. That's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is sin, that we were created by God to live in harmony with him, in obedience to him, in relationship to him, but that our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. They rebelled against God. They said, God, we think we can do life better on our own, and all of us have followed in those footsteps. All of us want to put ourselves on the throne of our life rather than surrender to Jesus as Lord. And so our deepest problem is sin. And what's striking is sin doesn't kill us right away, but its effects are devastating in the long run. I was reading about Marie Curie. She was a physicist, Polish-French physicist. She's a remarkable, remarkable woman. Think about this. She was the first woman to win the Nobel Prize. She's the first person to win it twice, and she's the only person to win it in two different fields. I mean, she was S-M-A-R-T. No dummy. She actually discovered two elements, polonium and radium. But one of the things that she did is, is she was so fascinated with all of her research into radiological materials that she actually kept these vials of radiological materials in her, in her pockets. And she would walk around with these materials near her and on her. She actually was kind of amazed by how they would glow in the dark. And it eventually killed her. She died of a disease that came from radiation poisoning. Isn't that what sin is like? It doesn't kill you right away. You can actually do a lot of things living for yourself, putting yourself on the throne of your life, not caring about other people, not caring about the Lord. You can do a lot. And yet eventually it kills you. Eventually, it destroys you. Eventually, it leaves you alone and hopeless. And eventually, I mean, the result of sin really is for all of us death. The reason why we all die is because we all sin. This is a deep problem. This problem is so big that only God can fix it. And that's what Christmas comes to say, is that we have an unprecedented need, right? Christmas comes and says, things really are this bad. And you can't heal or save yourself. That's, that's what Christmas says. You have a huge need. There, there's some clues to this in the passage we read just a moment ago. Twice, it describes this child that Mary's pregnant with as a child from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. In other words, th- this need has to be solved by someone coming from outside, someone else intervening from God himself. That's why it says in verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The significance of the virgin birth is that Jesus is not like an ordinary human being, but he is God intervening. That's how big our sin is. That's how deep our problem is. That's how unprecedented our need is. We need God 
to intervene. Well, how does God intervene? Well, he intervenes, secondly, in an unprecedented person. Christmas reveals an unprecedented person. The Bible says that God has spoken at many times in many ways through lots of different prophets and lots of different messengers. He's spoken many times through human beings, but in Christmas now he comes as a human being. And, and this, if you're like a person that's kind of skeptical about faith and you hear that, you're going like, that sounds crazy. And you know what? You're right. That sounds crazy. Right? If, you've ever, if you've ever had a baby, if you've ever been around a baby, right? I've had four kids, and each time that, that, they were, uh, that I had a baby at Christmas time, I was amazed. Right? Just last week out here in the lobby, I, there was this just beautiful couple that just had this little baby. She was about five and a half pounds, just little and cute. And I wanted to grab her and hold her, but that'd be super weird. And then I want to hand her back because, like, I don't, I don't want a baby. Like, I'm good. But, but, I, but you just look at a little baby and you're like, really? God became like this? That's incredible. And yet that's what this passage says, is that Jesus is the God-man. Verse 23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man in a way that is mysterious and does seem a little crazy. And yet when you see throughout the life of Jesus what he does, you see that he does the kinds of things only God could do. He's an unprecedented person, not just in who he is and in what he does, in his healing and in his teaching and in his obedience and his holiness and his example, but he's also a savior. That's what he came to do, it says in verse 21. The angel tells Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That word Yeshua, Jesus, you know what it means? God saves. That's what the name Jesus means, God saves saves. Listen, Jesus wasn't just teaching. He wasn't just modeling. He wasn't just warning. He wasn't just doing amazing things. He came to save, to die on a cross as a substitute for sinners. The only one who was ever truly righteous, the only one who never really even had the need, paid the price for all of us needy sinners so that all of the goodness and the blessing and the eternal life that Jesus deserved gets counted to us. Jesus comes in weakness. He comes in smallness. He's an unprecedented person, and he saves us. Here's how Dr. Timothy Keller says it. He says, when God showed up in Jesus Christ, he was not a pillar of fire, nor a tornado, but a baby. There's nothing like a baby. Even young children have their own agenda and can run from you. But the little babies can be picked up, hugged, kissed, and they're open to it. They cling to you. Why would God come this time in the form of a baby rather than a firestorm or a whirlwind? Because this time he has come not to bring judgment, but to bear it, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the barrier between humanity and God so we can be together. Jesus is God with us. This, by the way, is why we're going to spend most of the next year as a church studying the Gospel of John, just looking at who Jesus is, trying to see him because he's an unprecedented person. We have an unprecedented need, 
that is met by an unprecedented person? What does it call for? Well, finally, Christmas reveals an unprecedented surrender. God's intervention is huge, and it calls for a huge surrender, not a partial surrender, right? That's what we kind of want to do. We kind of want to go, wow, that's really cool. God would do that for us? Neat. You know what? I'll kind of nod to that and go, God, thank you for that, but I'm going to actually just keep living life the way I want. I'm going to sprinkle a little Jesus in. Kind of go, Jesus is my co-pilot. And Jesus isn't interested in that. We, we have a phrase around here that we say that all of life is all for Jesus. But the reality is all of us, including me, the way we function is that we want to kind of say some of life is all for Jesus. But, but if this is true, that our deepest need is sin, and that the only person who could ever fix it actually came to fix it, then this requires an unprecedented surrender And we see that in the person of Joseph in this story. Joseph is just on this crazy ride, isn't he? Right, here he is. He's engaged to Mary. They're engaged. They've never been together. And all of a sudden, he finds out she's pregnant. And he's like, peace out. I'm going to do it nicely. I'm going to do it respectfully. I'm going to do it in such a way that doesn't bring her extra shame and dishonor, but I'm out. And what we read in this story is God intervening through an angel and saying, no, Joseph, really, this baby's from the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's an incredible truth. And, and notice how that just leads to Joseph's surrender. He, he changes his whole plan, right? Rather than going from divorcing her, it says at the end, he took his wife. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, it says. He, he embraced the un believable. I mean, can't you just imagine Joseph kind of, uh, you know, six, seven months after this, they're, they're, they've left Bethlehem, they're back in Nazareth. People are like, hey, uh, you're, did you and Mary already get married? Uh, no, 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 not yet. The wedding's not for a while. Uh, she kind of beefing up a little bit? Seems like she's got a little bit of a belly. Yeah, yeah, she sure does. What happened? Listen, man, it's not what you think. An angel told me in a dream that this was from God. (laughs) You imagine that's your story? I think you'd rather go, ah, let's just cut ties. But he doesn't. He embraces it. He embraces the unbelievable. He changes it. He changes his mind. Notice also how he gives up control. There's a little spot in here that maybe we don't think about at times, but in verse 21, it says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. That's a lot of control for a dad to give up, right? I've had the privilege of getting to name all four of my kids, Abby, Caitlin, Mary, and Hank. And I got to name them, and I got to be involved in that process. Now, one of the things that Molly and I wouldn't do, and I realize there's different views of this, so if if you did it differently, that's totally fine. But but in our family, we decided we're not going to tell anyone the name until they're actually here. Because I thought if I said, hey, uh, yeah, we're going to name her Caitlin, and you like went to school with someone named Caitlin that you didn't like, you'd be like, oh, that's a stupid name. But if I'm holding Caitlin, you're going to be less likely to critique it. Right, but I got to pick. Joseph is going, I don't even get to pick. Like, what if he went to school with some guy named Yeshua who was like a total jerk? 
Like, well, I got to name him this. He embraces it. He gives up control. He embraces the cost. He takes on the shame of this scandal. He realizes the Savior of the world has come. I I need to surrender to this, even though it's very costly. I love this quote by David Benner. He says this, Joseph willingly accepted God's right to invade his life and turn it upside down. Listen, friends. God has the right to invade your life and turn it upside down. And and here's the thing. It may cost you. You may look kind of dumb when you tell people you believe in this Savior who was born of a virgin and who rose from the dead. But if God turns your life upside down in Jesus, there's no better life. God has the right to invade your life. He has the right to turn it upside down. The question is, will you embrace it? Will you surrender to that? Will you, as Joseph did, willingly accept God's right to intervene? If you do, you will find that Jesus has saved you from your sins. You will find that even though you will still live in this fallen and broken world, and even though you will still die because every one of us who sins dies, you will find that that won't be the end of your story. That if you put your trust in Jesus, even though you die, you'll live. And he'll save you from your sins. Will you receive it? That's what Christmas brings. It's unprecedented. There's no news like it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. That he came to save his people from their sins. And God, we rejoice today that we're your people that because of what Christ has done, we're adopted into your family and we're forgiven of our sin and we're made new and we're cleansed and we're declared righteous. That we have a promise of eternity with you. That we have a hope that transcends any kind of circumstances we might face. That when all the world is crumbling around us, we can still have a peace and a love and a joy that comes only from you. And so God, I pray that this Christmas, As we look around the world and we realize, you know what, this actually isn't all that unprecedented. This is just kind of what life's like in a broken world. That we would have an unprecedented kind of hope because of this person like of Jesus who no one was like him. Help us to treasure him, Lord, we pray in Christ's name.